All right, you can get your worship guides out. Uh, this is a great message to take notes on. Uh, if you've got uh, a version on your digital Bibles, you can open that up as well. And uh, excited to give you this word. Wasn't that an incredible message opener, that video? That is, no, yes, okay. That is in-house produced, and uh, one of our, our very own Dream Team members was the dude going into the water, and we, we replaced his clothes, so just so you want, in case you're wondering about that. But before we can go into deeper waters and grow deeper, sometimes we have to deal with a, a deeper problem. We have to deal with deep wounds. And, and so we're going to talk today about the problem of isolation and what it does in our relationships and how it keeps us from growing deeper and how it keeps us from growing in our faith with God and with others. Next week, I'm going to deal with the solution. The solution is intimacy. And so I want you to see how the enemy is strategically trying to keep us from what we need most. The third week, I'm not even going to tell you about it because it's so good. You want to come and see on the third week on, on September 18th. We uh, sign up Sunday for small groups. You can view the groups right now online if you want to. Uh, they're there to start shopping. But on September 18th, we begin the process of signing up. You can, you can do it before, but we're going to have leaders here. We're going to have our directories so you can kind of open those up and navigate what's going on in connect groups. There are dozens and dozens of groups this semester. We are here. We are ready for you. Amen? Amen. Let me ask you a question, though, as we get going. Is everybody ready for church? Yes. Yes. Are, are you ready to go deep? Turn to your neighbor and say, we're getting ready to go deep. Turn to your second choice, say, it ain't swimming lessons, okay? All right, so don't worry, don't worry. Do you know how swimmers clean themselves? They wash up on shore. Okay, never mind, let's, uh, they wash up on shore, get that? Anyway, all right, so have any of you ever suffered from a physical injury and had to have stitches? Raise your hand. Raise your hand, good high. Look around. You bunch of busted up people, okay, you know what I'm saying? Broken, busted. All right, so I can remember, I've had stitches multiple times. I don't know what it is. It's amazing I'm still as good looking as I am. And I can remember when I was a young boy, I had uh, stitches on my chin. And I was afraid to go off a diving board. And so to get over my fear, one of my friends convinced me, you just have to run off the diving board. Don't think about it. Just run off the diving board. And so he went ahead of me, somehow successfully navigated that. So I run off the diving board. True story, I ran to the other side of the pool and hit my chin on the pool. Passed out in the pool. It was a bad scene. Nine years old. I'll never forget as long as I live. Still have stitches. Goatee covers it up. So, um, yeah, that was a bad day. Um, then I had, another time I had stitches. I've told you this story. I went through the windshield of a car. I was 19, 18, 19 years old. Face right through that. Miraculously, there was no damage. <laughs> But I have one little scar, some stitches, you know, that I had to have on my shoulder. It always reminds me of how God protected my face. And um, <laughs> thank you, Jesus, for that. Um, another time I can remember in 2012, even recently, I had uh, scheduled for a laparoscopic surgery. There was something going on inside of me in my stomach. And if you, how many are familiar with laparoscopic surgery? So it's a minor surgery. You're supposed to be in and out. Same day, they poke four holes in you, and they're going to pull something through a hole. I don't, you know, it's crazy what they do. It's, you know, it just freaks me out a little bit. And um, so they go in there, and they realize, nope, it's not going to come out. So they open me up, whole, whole stomach cavity. <laughs> And so if I was to take my shirt off, the point is I look like a prisoner of war because of all the stitches and scars and stuff. That, and my kids think it's cool, you know, but it's not cool. So, so you guys have had stuff like How many of you have ever had a minor surgery? Minor surgery? Major surgery? Wow. Plastic surgery? 
All right, never mind. So, so these types of physical injuries, um, they, we navigate them. We get through them. We eventually heal from them. In some cases, we laugh about them later on. We're like, oh, look at this. I remember. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and so it becomes a part of our story, sometimes even funny. It's just a chapter in the book, right? Physical stitches, physical injuries. But how many know we don't laugh about time doesn't necessarily always heal relational injuries, emotional injuries. Some of those injuries are deeper than skin deep. You can't see them, and many people won't let you touch them, right? Because there's a force field around you, and it's invisible but we, to them, but we can feel it, and we can see it. And these types of wounds are and sometimes have a way of not healing. That's what we're going to talk about. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to go there so that we can grow here. Amen? So I'll bet most of you here today have had something like that happen to you, a relational injury. Uh, where something happened in your life and, and, and it hurt real bad. What I want you to know at the outset as your pastor is, believe it or not, with those types of injuries that rarely heal in many people's lives, I want you to know that the enemy of your soul is behind that. It is diabolical. It, what are you saying, pastor? I'm saying Satan is behind that. Really? Yeah. He wants to cause the most damage that he possibly can. He wants to kill, the Bible says, steal, and he wants to destroy. And if he can't do it to you physically, he's definitely going to try to do it to you relationally. He'd rather you die slowly than die quickly. And he'd like to do it relationally. And the thing that we don't often recognize and realize is what's happening as we head down this path. And what is the path? The path leads to ultimately a destination of isolation. That's where the enemy is trying to lead us as it pertains to relationship. The devil's goal is to isolate you because that is where he can do the most damage in your life is in isolation, picking you off one at a time all by yourself. My friend is from Louisiana, and he says, all by yourself, <laughs> down by the bayou. That's funny. I don't care what you say. Okay. <laughs> so my, my daddy used to say this as a principle. He used to say that the excuse me, isolation is the seedbed of every idolatry. So every negative, be so, so idolatry is anything that we put above God, anything we worship above God. The outcome of putting something above God to excess is bondage, slavery, sin, destructive behaviors, egregious behaviors. And as a result, we lose our freedom and we don't find fulfillment and we don't find intimacy and all the things that God really wants for us. It all is possible because we get isolated. Is everybody with me? It's a problem. Isolation is a big problem, and, and that's what we're going to talk about. Look at Genesis 11 in your notes. We're going to study a Bible character that maybe you've never heard of before, but he precedes the father of our faith. He's actually the father of the father of our faith. His name is Terah. Everybody say Terah. I don't mean terror. I'm not like, it's not an accent. Terah, T-E-R-A-H, okay? This is the account in verse 27 of chapter 11 of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, who we know as Abraham later. Abraham went on to be famous. He's the father of our faith. We see him in the, the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He was the father of many nations. He's the one who kind of led our people. Uh, Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Remember Haran. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Now, let me unpack this for you. And we'll start to personalize this as we go forward. Terah has three sons. One of those sons dies prematurely. In other words, as a parent, he outlived his baby. Now, 
I don't even have to ask the question because I know the answer, but I don't think anybody would disagree that one of the most painful wounds we could possibly experience if you're a parent is outliving your own child, yes or no? I mean, it's just, there's just nothing worse. It's just horrible to even contemplate something like that, living past your own flesh and blood. I've actually been in relationship with, with known several people, couples, uh, been front row, front and center with people who have lost one of their own, lost one of their loved ones, outlived their child. I know somebody whose child committed suicide, and I saw the destruction on this family. I know a family who had and a couple who had a daughter with cystic fibrosis, and she died at a very early age, 17, 18 years old. And, and, and I can still vividly remember them calling me to the hospital uh, as she's on, you know, artificially respirated, begging me for a miracle, like I can do the miracle, you know, and come pray for her. Maybe she'll come back. Maybe she'll be revived because we're going we're gonna to pull the plug today. I was there when they pulled the plug. It's not something I, it's not an envious position as a pastor. Some people think we just pray, read our Bibles, and entertain people. That kind of stuff, you can't pay me enough for that kind of stuff. That's tough, tough stuff to be sitting there. But I remember, you know, the before and after, the hope and the wish and the prayer and, the, and just God do something. Then after when it didn't happen, the devastation. And I've seen the devastation since on this family who really didn't have their own vibrant vertical connection with God, nor do they have many lifelines here horizontally. And as a result, their, their marriage, their family, it's, been, it's just been tumultuous the whole time. Drugs and alcohol and conflict and all kinds of egregious things happening. And, and, I've, and I've seen it, you know, in, in other people's lives where a boy in a car accident and the husband and wife, and he dies, and, and, and they outlive him. And it was horrible. And within a year, the husband and wife were attacking each other and biting each other and, and they broke up and they're divorced and it's just perpetuated. At the same time, I've seen people who in this kind of a situation have outlived it, outlasted, outperformed, let's just say what most people would do in this situation because though their child died two and a half years old, drowned, their marriage sur survived. It actually that galvanized them. They actually became a testimony to other people. And began to they became, became another chapter in a book where they were able to minister to other people. And, and I can tell you other couples and other stories where people, this was strong and this was strong. And they were tethered together. And as a result, they were able to get past these horrible, difficult situations. But in most cases, God, 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 God uh, you know, you don't see some of that kind of situation because people got isolated as a result, insulated from the only thing that can help them. Jot this down if you're taking notes. Uh, most of us, maybe not as serious, have experienced personal tragedy. Personal tragedy. Maybe you've suffered a tragedy. Loss of a loved one is what happened in this case. In fact, in the, in the Bible, the book of Job, Job says this in verse 26 of chapter 30. Yet, when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. I remember being in the hospital, and they're hoping for light, and they're hoping for good, and then that's not what happened. We're hoping and praying sometimes for something good, that God would intervene, that he would change the circumstances, that he would turn this whole situation around, and then, boom, we get hit again. Boom, you know, darkness falls, difficulty comes again. I know you've been there because I've been there. I know we, we know what that's like in certain situations. Sometimes it's loss. Sometimes it's, it's rejection. Where the tragedy is Somebody's, somebody's hurt us, a coach, a parent, a teacher has rejected us. There's different types of wounds. Sometimes somebody walks out on us. 
that we cared about, that we, we found our security in, and one day they're just gone. See ya, not there anymore. And we can act like it's really not bothering us, but it's been bothering us the whole time. It created a deep wound. Somebody's betrayed you. Have you ever had a friend or a confidant, and you, you poured into them, and, and they betrayed you, and they went behind your back, and they talked behind your back, or maybe a spouse, and, 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 and your fidelity was challenged by somebody who cheated on you. It creates a wound. It's a deep wound. And that wound leads us down a path, kind of a devastating destination. And as a result, sometimes we respond the wrong way. Job 19.19 says, Job speaking about his friends, all my intimate friends, my best friends, my BFFs, they detest me. Those I love have turned against me. And so when these kind of things happen, people let us down. We feel abandoned. We feel hurt. We feel rejected. We feel alone. These things that happen to us in many cases lead us to tragic conclusions, devastating destinations, as I would say. And as a result of this deep wound, we don't always make, you know, and do the right things. These types of relational injuries hurt bad. Genesis 11, let's go back to the original story of Terah, verse 31. Look what happened in his life. Terah took his son Abram, then his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of the son Abram, and together they set out from Ur. So the four of them set out. He goes there with his family to the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. So they're, they're set out from Ur to go to Canaan. Ur is where they are. Canaan is where, where God wants them to be. Now, Terah, the father, he's... He's hit with this horrible personal tragedy. He has no doubt a deep, deep relational, personal wound from what happened with the loss of his son. Yes or no? Is everybody with me? And I think it's incredibly interesting what, what, is, what happens next. And there's parts of this that I believe happened that I cannot prove from the text. I cannot justify with other supportive texts or scriptures. But let me just say, I believe what I'm going to share with you is more than speculative. I believe it's more axiomatic. I believe you can see these things from scripture in other places. And a lot of theologians believe what I'm about to share with you. So I'm just going to say, I cannot 100% say what I'm going to say is true, but I believe it is with all my heart. Here's what's going on here. I believe far more than uh, speculation that Tara was actually the person who received the call from God before Abraham. Now, some of you know Abraham as the father of our faith. If you don't, he is. <laughs> Hello. And, and he received a word from God. And that word, just summarizing real quickly, is God spoke to him and he basically said, you know, I'm going to do a great thing through you. And there's going to be kind of an offspring from you that will be as many as the sands on the seashore. When you look at the sand, it's going to be more than that. When you look at the stars in the sky, it's going to be more than that. An incredible thing is going to happen in and through you. I've called you to that. I believe that calling came to Terah before it came to Abraham. And, and he gave him this vision from God. And what he wanted to do through the nation of Israel came there first. Eventually, Abraham gets this call, and he becomes the father of many nations. But what if his dad was the one who was called first? What if the vision came to him in the first place? I believe God called Terah, and I believe he called him to move from Ur to Canaan. And because of what God called him to do and what, the way God works, his modus operandi a lot of times is he wants to do something in us that's bigger and greater than who we are. And so what happened? Here's what happened. First, you have to understand something before you know what happened. That, that kind of the, the, when we get in a position of tragedy, when we get in, into personal tragedy in our lives in our, and we come to this place of pain in our lives, you need to know something about God. 
God's system of healing, the process of overcoming pain, is always to introduce us to something bigger than, ourself, bigger than ourselves. His solution to the pain that you are experiencing relationally, your greatest wounds that have often not healed, that you carry around with you, is to introduce you to someone or something or both bigger than you. Is everybody with me? So here, write this down. God brings what I call preserving vision. Preserving vision. This is a foundational conviction of our church. We absolutely want to help people understand and process their pain, deal with their yesterdays, get delivered, get soul therapy, get free in Christ Jesus, whom the Son sets free. The Bible says it's free indeed, amen? But at some point, we got to get past fixing ourselves, having a kumbaya moment over and over and over. You know what I mean by that? We're just like spending all our time focusing on our pain, and focusing on our problems. See, God always wants to take you past your pain and past your problem and introduce you something bigger. And many of us are trying to overcome the pain we're in, but we're still living in Ur. We stay in Ur. Ur is representative or indicative of something. Many are trying to stay where we are, have the same circumstances, have the same feelings, have the same friendships and relationships, keep things as they are, but still move forward. No, you have to get out, church, from where you are, get out of Ur. It's the only way to move forward. God wants to take you on a journey. And so he can come in and he can heal your heart in a second, but he wants to change your life in a journey, in a process. And he does that with God and with people. That's how he does it. Is everybody with me? So you can't stay in her. Everybody say, I can't stay in her. There was always a Canaan that God has for your life, just like he had for Terah. And, and ultimately, we see this for Abraham. He has a promise, all right? And he wants to take you to this place of provision. But there's, there's problems in the middle. And some of us focus on our problems and focus on our pain and the adversity and tragedies of life. And we never get out of that. God didn't create these tragedies, but it's his intent to always redeem us from them. Always. Always. Nothing that you have experienced painful or otherwise is wasted. Right. So the scripture tells us over and over. He wants to move you from pain to purpose. It's the secret sauce. Everybody say secret sauce. It's purpose, it's vision for your life. So now we see this happening in Terah's life as he gathers his family together. He moves to Canaan, but then something happens along the way. And this is very typical for us in our journey. Sometimes we're not cognizant of what is happening, but it's happening. Genesis eleven thirty one. Look in your notes with me. It says this. But when they came to Haran, remember that now, it's a location now, not a person. They settled there. So now the city that they're going through to Canaan is named after Abram's dead son. Is everybody tracking with me on this? You got to stay up for, you got to pay attention. As my daddy used to say, are you staying up for the snack? You got to pay attention, okay? Don't fall asleep on me, all right? So as they're moving from Ur to Canaan, they go through Haran. It is, it is in the middle. Haran is not a boy. Haran is a city. It's a place, okay? And the Bible says they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. It's interesting that when our, on our path to promise, sometimes we think the biggest problem that we're going to face is getting out of Ur, getting out of our immediate circumstances. And so we get excited. We get, you know, pumped up about that. And, but often the biggest challenge is not getting out of Ur. The biggest challenge is going through Haran. It's this painful place. And most Christians are stuck in Haran. Most Christians are staying in the place of working on my problems and working on pain day after day, month after month, year after year. We're not going on to Canaan. 
And that's why it's so important that you become a part of this process, this journey that God wants to take you on. You, probably 80% of you, many of you are stuck in Haran. Just telling you that as your pastor. And so here's what happens. Terah comes to the city, and there he's flooded with all of these memories. He's flooded. This, yeah, my son died. This whole thing reminds me about my son. It reminds me of what didn't happen, what could have happened, what should have happened. And I'm mad, and I'm blaming, and I'm looking, and I'm pointing, and all these things are going on. And he gets stuck there, and he dies there. He dies there. So this is what can happen to many of us when we get stuck in Iran. We have paralyzing memories. Paralyzing memories is your fill in the blank. This story is so common really, in our lives. We go through tragedy. God's faithfulness comes right behind us, supporting us and strengthening us with promises from God. People even come alongside us, and we get going, and we get moving and shaking and blowing, and we catch the vision. And on the way to Canaan, something happens. Somewhere along the way, those painful memories resurface. And it's the enemy of your soul bringing back your past, reminding you of what was, instead of listening to God and what shall be and what can be. And in the spiritual journey, there's often a step that we skip and a choice that needs to be made in order to grow deeper in our faith with God. We, we realize there's a promise, and we know, we know that there's this provision and this goal here in this Canaan land in our life, but we don't know how to conclude these problems in our life, these painful situations in our life. And we're going to need to pass through a city called Haran. And we need to embrace this, and we must make a choice. Are we going to continue, listen, to focus on our pain, or are we going to focus on our purpose? What you focus on, you will follow. What you follow, you will become. You will become. Is everybody with me? And this divine tension is a tension that not only Tara has, but every Christian, every believer, every follower and seeker of God ultimately will have to face in their life. Here's what happens. It keeps us from our purpose, our purpose. When we settle in the place of pain, we'll miss the purposes of God for our life. And God will move on to somebody else because he's going to fulfill what he's going to fulfill. Many of the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes that prevail. I have to decide whether I'm going to be a part of his purposes or not. It keeps us from our purposes. David said this in Psalm 73, 21. When my heart was grieved... And my spirit embittered, so he's in this place of emotional pain, relational pain. The result was I was senseless and ignorant. What happens is when you're in this place of pain, you don't make good decisions. You don't make good choices. When you're in that place of pain, you, you can't see clearly now. The rain is still pouring. I have a song going through my head, and I'll resist singing it right now. Okay, but there's this windshield and it's dirty and you cannot see clearly now. Okay, so what do we need to get the windshield clear? Yes, you need God. I need Jesus. Well, that's a great answer, but you also need Jesus with skin on. You need people. Amen. You need people say people hurt me. Yep, people hurt you, but people heal too. The same thing that happened against you is the same thing that can happen for you if you focus on your, pain, your, your purpose and not on your pain. You focus on your pain, people will continue to hurt you. You focus on your purpose, and people will continue to heal you. It will happen over and over and over again. You need people that you get permission into your life, to speak into your life, to come into your world when, you're, when you've got the blinds down in your room of your life. You're not letting any light in. You need a person that comes in and goes, bring, put the lights on. Hey, buddy, you got to get out of bed. We're going to the gym. We're going to small group. Huh, what, huh, what, huh? You need to get up. We're not going to eat cookies and cake for breakfast. We are getting up today. You need people like that who you let into your world. But unless you have people in your life who do remind you of where you're going, then you'll wind up getting caught where you are. 
staying where you are. So this is what happened to Terah. He wouldn't let it go. He wouldn't move past it. And as a result, write this down, it keeps us from people. It keeps us from the right people in our life. This will keep you from, divine. I call it divine flow. Other people call this divine flow relationships. A divine flow relationship are these heart connections with people. These like spiritually strategic alignments. You are missing out because you can't see because you're living in Haran. You are missing out on some relationships that God wants to put strategically into your life to help you fulfill the purpose and plan of God for your life. But because you are settling in Haran, because you are focused on your pain, you are missing these heart connections and these divine flow connections. If you were focused on your purpose and not on your pain, it is unbelievable how fast God will put people in your life and you, your whole life will change. You know, where did this person come from? I feel like I'm a sister to this person. I feel like I'm a brother to this person. They're like my family. I hear this all the time. I mean, I was out in Dijon, Sarah. We, we believe we're like family. We don't even differentiate blood from covenant with each other in Christ. We have the same bloodline in Jesus Christ. We actually have the same father. We, we serve the same God. We have this kind of connection. That's how and what can happen in your life. Is everybody tracking with me? So purpose, you can write this down. It's kind of bonus. Vision is the rallying point for relationships. Vision. You have to have vision. The Bible says without vision, you know, things die. People perish. Without vision for your marriage, without vision for your family, without vision for your friendships. See, a lot of people just want, they just have relationship. You know what? You know what you have? You just have convenient intersections of people. You go to work and you call them friends. You go to the gym and you call them friends. No, you just conveniently are intersecting. God has something higher than that for you. He wants you to have relationship, yes, but he wants you to add an intentionality to that, a purpose to that, an effort to that. In the process of taking relationship and intentionality, you grow deeper. You get healed. You fulfill the purpose and plan of God for your life. Is anybody getting this? is good preaching, man. I, I've only been back a few minutes. <laughs> So purpose or vision is the glue to the relationship God wants to have for you. It's, it, our church is an example of this. Incredibly diverse environment. We have people economic, different economic stratas, different racial uh, backgrounds, different phases and stages, different ages, all those kind of things, belief systems, even backgrounds. What rallies us is vision. See, so you need a vision for your relationships. That's what will protect it. That's what will keep it strong. Yes or no? Yes. Pastor DJ and I were out. For dinner the other night, we don't get to socialize as much as we should, and we were grieving about that. And 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 this is this is all glory to God. I always knew Deej would be a musician and he would serve God through his gift that way, but I never knew he'd be a crossfitter. <laughs> I mean, I just never, I just, I just didn't have the faith for that. I just didn't. So we're months in, and he's CrossFit this, and he wants to do a CrossFit group, and he's CrossFit at work, and he's talking about CrossFit, and standing on his head, doing push-ups, all kinds of crazy. And so we're talking about this, and I said, you know, it's just amazing. What happened to you? And he says, you know, I, honestly, I've actually come to enjoy getting up at 6.30 in the morning and going to a class. And then he goes, well, time out. I don't really enjoy that part of it. He goes, but it's when I get there. See, there's a pain, there's, a, there's an effort, there's an intentionality on the front end where I, I don't see that's so important in the process. I don't like getting up at 6.30 in the morning. Just like you might not like going and meeting people you don't know. You might not like going and inter entertaining or enrolling in a relationship that you don't, under, you don't know these people that are not your people. But once he got there, 
And he got around people who were like-minded, going in the same direction, having a cause and a purpose and a vision. All of a sudden, in that community, there was strength and there was purpose. And he found it was worth it to go to a 6.30 a.m. class before his 12-hour workday. See, God wants to do something at a whole nother level on a spiritual plane. The Bible says physical training is of some value, but it is nothing next to godliness. So I want you to enroll in godly relationships, but you have to go past that point of, of, of awkwardness, past that point of I don't know these people, past all those little barriers in your mind to get to that place and get out of isolation. Is everybody with me? Yes. Woo. So Hebrews 12, 15 says this. Abram eventually, you know, he gets a vision from God and he takes Sarah and he takes Lot and he leaves Terah behind. That's what happens. And you know what happened? Terah dies alone. Hebrews 12, 15 says a bitter spirit is not only bad itself, but it also can poison the lives of many others. See, Terah wouldn't let things go. He wouldn't give up on it. I think what's happening here is he eventually pushes people away because he can't get over the loss, the tragedy of his son. And eventually, the people that could help him most left him where he was. They had to pull out. They had to leave. They had to fulfill the purpose and plan of God for your life their lives, excuse me. So when we don't let things go, we'll begin to hurt the people around us. Hurt people what? Hurt people, right? And so he had to focus, he kept focusing on pain and left him in isolation. So we got to be careful not to uh, allow these things to make us bitter, but let, let them make us better. Don't let one person that hurts you, uh, a couple of occurrences or even one occurrence that hurts you keep you from the best things of God. Because it's going to come through people. So here's the thing that the most tragic thing that happens in these situations. Number, the last one is keeps us from unanswered, or keeps us from answered prayer. It keeps us from answered prayer. Ultimately, because you won't get out of Haran, because you keep staying in that place of pain, it not only makes your horizontal relationships toxic, it'll eventually make your vertical connection toxic. So then you try to go to God and you can't, you can't hear. God will not separate what is happening here from here. They're inextricably linked to one another. Look in your notes in Mark eleven twenty five. 25. It says, when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive you your sins. One of the motivations for releasing people and forgiving people is because I'm going to need it someday. You're going to need it someday. That's why in this daily prayer that Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, 12, also in verse 14, it says, Forgive us our debts, as in the same manner we forgive our debtors. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So we have to stay in that place of releasing and forgiving. And when, when we do, that vertical connection remains strong in our lives. So God has called us to this journey. To not stay in Haran. To get out of Ur, absolutely. And, 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 and if we don't, we'll end up like Terah. Terah, we never hear from again. It goes dark. You never, you never hear about him in the scriptures again. He's off the radar. And because he did life alone, he got isolated. Look at Ecclesiastes in your notes, chapter 4, verse 8. It says, there's a man who was all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. This scripture kind of describes and depicts what you and I can be like sometimes. We can kind of get, we can get comfortable with amassing our wealth. We can get comfortable with accolades and achievement. We can have companions around us, but we're actually not with anyone. See, a lot of people say, I'm not isolated. I got people around me all the time. Yeah, you can be right next to your wife, six inches from her in the same bed and miles apart. 
See, God wants you to actually have, not be insulated in your heart, but connected. He wants you to be known. There's such power in being known and knowing others. God wants that for you. And so Ecclesiastes is saying, nothing's going to fill that void. Nothing is going to fulfill the void other than the richness of relationship. My pastoral prayer for you is that if somebody asks you, or you were to be asked, what makes you wealthy? Your reply would be, I'm rich in relationship. Because that's the only thing that you can take with you. It's the only thing on this earth that is actually eternal and has significance. You cannot ultimately, as a Christ follower, survive in in isolation. You can't. You got to go deeper. I'm telling you, sir, ma'am, you have to go deeper in order to grow deeper. Well, I'm hurt. I understand that. I can't seem to overcome it. Well, the Bible says you can, and you need to get with him and with people. Look what the Bible says. Actually, in Psalms, it says he saved, he's near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's what his word says. Psalm 147 in your notes says he heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. But in order to move past the heart healing to your life manifesting that healing, you have to take a bold step. You have to move out of earth. You have to go through Haran, these painful processes, and you have to include people in that journey through Haran in order to actually be healed to get to that place of promise in your life. What does it take to get through Haran? What does it take to get all the way to Canaan in your life, the promise and purpose of God for your life? Write this down. Number one, build our meaningful relationships. Build our meaningful relationships. Right now, You have certain relationships already in your life. They're meaningful. They're significant. And what happens a lot of times is we are not investing in those. We're we're making withdrawals from those. Isn't it interesting that when we're hurt and when we're in pain, we don't take it out on the people who hate us. We take it out on the people who love us. That's the default. And the Bible is saying stop doing that. Galatians says this. uh, Look at that. It says serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out. Watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So you got to be careful. Don't put people, uh, everybody that, that's in your life, in a box of the one person who hurts you. See, sometimes we're looking through this lens of this, this occurrence and this happening, and we're putting everybody in that, and that is what is destroying our lives. Invest and build in those significant relationships in your lives. Because these people who already are in your life, they're the people who are there with you and there for you in a pickle, in a pinch, where there's a problem and any other P word I can come up with. (laughs) You need those people bad. And so if you continue to bite and devour them, you can push them away, and then Abraham and Lot and Sarah might just pull out and leave on you. And you'll be all alone. And you can die in your isolation, emotionally, relationally. And and even statistically, people who are alone, people who are insulated and isolated, they're more prone to die early physically. It's a fact. Here's the next thing you need to know. Write this down. This is really practical. Break off all harmful relationships. Break them off. Some of you are around toxic people. You need to establish certain boundaries. If you have problems with boundaries, everybody, after every time I talk about a point like this, they come after church with 25 different questions about 25 different scenarios. Read the book called Boundaries by Henry Cloud. Boundaries by Henry Cloud. But here's the, here's the deal. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, 
but a companion of fools suffers harm. It doesn't say you're a fool. It just says you're hanging around with foolish people, and you will be hit by the shrap metal of their foolish mistakes. You need to get away from them. You, you have the right and the responsibility to break off some of the harmful relationships that are in your life. It's critical. It, just, just to say this to you as, as a pastor, it's not Christ-like to be a Christian doormat. You have, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is cut people off. And, and, and so, so what does that look like? Well, I'll just take marriage, the most sacred covenant relationally that we can have according to Scripture and should be according to, to law, but it's not necessarily. But, but if, if you're, by the way, what I'm going to say, if you don't get it, I'm not, uh, people who are, most people, there's 50% of, I'll talk eventually. <laughs> We're going to speak on the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have to pray for the interpretation. That's what happens when you have 25 things all going <laughs> through like an artery known as your mouth. So let me just say it this way. No judgment of people who've been divorced. Lots of people in divorce. We love people who've been divorced. Love, love, they don't love the decision. We just love them. God doesn't hate divorced people. He hates divorce. Yes or no? Okay? Okay. But when people are going through that process, our default as a church is always going to be to do everything we can to try to heal or reconcile the relationship. That is our default. Sometimes when we're going through that process, we tell people, you go to your corner and you go to your corner. We call that separation. It is an intentional separation, not as a step to divorce, but as a step toward reconciliation. And so sometimes we have to pull away from that which is harmful and toxic. The same thing is true. Sometimes you need boundaries like that in, in parent-to-child relationships, child-to-parent relationships, friend-to-friend relationships, whatever coach-to-kid to, to relationship, all those kind of things. Everybody needs to realize that sometimes you need to pull away or break off from some of these things that are toxic. Is everybody with me? So listen, some of you need to be Christ-like and kick some people out of your life. But don't, tell, don't go home now and, and, and get a divorce paper and bam, slap it and say, Pastor said, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. Okay, so here's the summary. Build meaningful relationships. Break off the wrong ones. And number three, most importantly, build some new godly relationships. Some of you are like, I have relationships. But are those relationships strategically causing you to grow deeper in your faith and help you fulfill the purpose and plan of God for your life? I beg to differ. Some of you are not in that kind of relationship. I know the statistics for this church. I know the situations for our church. And some people say, well, I can't afford it. I don't have time to. You can't afford not to. God is working overtime to try to pull you in, and the devil is working 24-7 to try to pull you into isolation. The Bible says this in Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin. Many of us have people around us. Many of us have casual acquaintances and connections. But there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's the friendship that God wants you to have. I'm strongly encouraging you to make time for that. What will happen, Pastor, when I go to group? What will I see? Are there going to be weird people there? Yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. What if I go there and there's 10 cats in the house? What am I going to do? That's a legitimate concern. <laughs> what if I go there and I get there and there's a chair and it's in the middle of the room and everybody's in a circle and they put me in the chair and they make me confess my problems. I just have this fear they're going to just be laying hands on me and praying for me and it's going to be crazy. Relax. It does not happen until week two. <laughs> People just get so nervous, okay? So, so isn't it possible, is it possible that the enemy would incessantly try to just put all these notions in your mind so it'll keep you from the very thing that could help you the most? Amen? 
God wants to do something great through you. And I'm encouraging you to take a big step this month. Start shopping and looking around online for the right group for you. Ask some questions. Let us help you. Let us guide you and direct you. We are ready for you. We want you to be in community so that you can get out of her. You don't stay in Haran so you can get into your Canaan. Will you stand on your feet and let me pray for you? Amen. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just because it helps you focus on what's going on in your heart. Would you just close your eyes, everybody, all around the room? Please honor the person to your right or to your left. Please, please, please hear me. Close your eyes and look at your own heart right now. Look at your own heart right now. Just for a second. Are you, are you listening to the Holy Spirit? What is he saying to you? Are you in biblical community? Are you connected with people relationally that are helping you grow in your faith spiritually? Are you in covenant relationships where somebody knows your pain? Somebody knows what's going on under the hood. You've given them permission to speak into your life. You've come out from behind the fig leaf a few times and just said, hey, I'm struggling. This is what's going on. That is the place of transformation as you will discover God wants to get you connected in divine flow relationships that literally change your life. If you know God's speaking to you about being in biblical community and you know you need to take kind of a bold step and do more in that area, even if you've been in it, you need to just commit to the principle and also commit to the practice. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I definitely need to do more of that. God bless you. All the room. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Just God's looking at your hand and me. That's it. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands on. That's awesome. Now, maybe you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ and you, you, that, you realize that's the first relationship. Before you join a church or a group, my gosh, sir, ma'am, boy, girl, join Jesus. Come in a relationship with him. Have you done that? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Because he's going to open your eyes to how important this is. And he's going to open your eyes to what the enemy is trying to do in your life. And you're going to be able to thwart the plans of the enemy, expose the lies of the enemy, and get on the path of God by just saying yes to Jesus. And if that's you and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, would you boldly raise your hand and say that's me? That can be online, cable, here in this room. God bless you. Anybody else says yes to Jesus, I want to give him my life. I don't want to leave today without being surrendered to him. Even when we sang that song, something was happening to you. God bless you. That's awesome. Church, just join me. Every single one of you, pray this prayer. Those that raise your hand in particular, say, Jesus, you're my Savior. I surrender my life to you completely. You're also my Lord, and I want to follow in your footsteps and be in relationship with you and with others. I'm going to take that big and bold step in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you help them on that journey and that you help us help them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap. Amen, amen, amen.